I, uh, I've shared a number of times on Sunday night, but uh, I want to make sure that you hear my heart. I love gatherings like this. It just feels like a family room or living room uh, gathering of the believers. If you're uh, new to Grace Point, or when I ask a question like, did you have the privilege of growing up in church? I don't want you to feel alienated by that. You're welcome to get in on this. But for those of you who this feels like a very familiar worship experience, you probably have memories and moments attached to songs like this, to gatherings like this. Any, anybody could uh, testify to what, what I'm sharing, that, that you can see a memory attached to this? All kinds of things go through my mind. I have the privilege and the challenge and all the other things that go with it of being an evangelist kid and a preacher's kid. And I remember being in camp meeting. Anybody ever go to camp meeting? Now, we have camp meeting today, but but camp meeting in my mind is when there was sawdust on the ground and there was a tent outside. And we had a lot of fun watching the choir director have to fight the bees or the flies trying to go into his mouth. My heart wasn't really focused on what was happening, but there was all kinds of good events going on at camp meeting. And I remember that uh, Sister Taylor, she would get blessed every now and then. And we knew things were going to get exciting when she started to hoop and holler a little bit because we could see her try to wave her hanky. She'd pull it out, she'd wave it around, and then she'd try to run. But I got the biggest tickle in my heart because uh, she would try to run, but it would just kind of go like this. It's the slowest run that I've ever seen. But it was in her own language, in her own way, she burst forth in praise. As a kid observing this, though my heart was more fixated on the novelty of what I thought was happening, I could never get away from the images imprinted on my mind and on my heart of what it looked like for somebody to, with reckless abandon, worship their God. Uh, Out of confession for you tonight, you know, like I said, I don't know that I was entering into deep worship at that moment, but... I believe when Scripture says to train up a child in the way that he or she should go and they will never turn from it, it doesn't take away their free will, but it gives them a taste in their mouth that they can never get out of what it looks like for a people of God to be vibrantly in love with Him. So why this should spark some emotion in our hearts when we begin to worship like we have in yesteryear in times where we have remembered God's faithfulness. It's not because that's the only way that God moves, but we are testifying that our God, who is so real, who's so evident in our life, has moved in the past. Amen? Amen. The, the children of Israel got forgetful. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would move into a new season of life, and it was as if they could never see what God had done in the past. When I read it in the Old Testament, I just say, are you guys dense? Do you not see that your God can do all things? How could you be living in fear now? But they forgot what their God had done. We don't want to forget what God has done. But on the flip side, we don't want to be so stuck in the fact, like Moses was, and and said, well, God, you you brought water through a rock, and and I smacked my stick on the rock, and, and you poured out water, so that's the only way that you can work again. And so, God, I'm going to force you into this box, and you remember what happened in the passage of Scripture that God provided, but it wasn't His first choice to go through an old method. So what I want you to hear me say tonight is, hang on deeply, not just to the method in which we praise God, but hang on deeply to the very God Himself who was real in those memories. Amen? Amen. Leonard Zerker, who just came back, I don't know that he's here tonight, blesses my heart. He shared with me uh, a number of months ago, he said, Pastor... 
I'm in this church in Florida for part of the year. And I feel like God has called me there to wave the banner that God is too important not to give it to the next generation. So this church in Florida does some things that I don't like. But I believe they serve a God that I love. When he said that, I just wanted to just stop and soak it up. There may be some things that God wants to do that Brady doesn't like. But if it helps people love a God that I know, then I want to trust his hand. Not my hand, not anybody's hand, but the hand of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, that has nothing to do with the message, but that was on my heart. So let's get to God's word tonight. I want to share with you, we've been in a series entitled Rendezvous, A Sacred Encounter with God. This sacred romance or this relationship with the Holy Spirit that God opens up to us. And we've been looking at how God does that. And tonight I want to key in on what we talked about this morning. On the gift He has given to us and each other. Why we need each other. I want to talk to you tonight about something that is very countercultural. It's opposite of the world which we live in. God promises us that if we follow these promises, if we do this His way, we will never again have to struggle with loneliness all by ourselves. We'll be able to overcome things like fatigue and fear and frustration and failure. If you do what He talks about in these passages of Scripture, we'll be able to handle depression when it comes our way. We'll be able to move through despair. We'll have that replaced with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's this concept that we talked about this morning. I believe we need to talk about it more. If you were in second service, we just scratched the surface. In first service, we talked about it in depth. It's the concept of biblical community that he's calling us to. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, verse 5, it's there in your outline. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. God has given us each other. We need one another. Now, I want you to turn to the person who's sitting next to you and say, you need me. Let them know. Tell them. Tell them. Now, now that sounds good, but you need to also tell them, say, now, I need you. Tell them. Let them know. I need you. It's one thing to say this, but if you think... Responding to your neighbor to your left or your right is frustrating when a pastor asks you to do that and you just wanted to sit here and listen. It costs us a whole lot more in our comfort to really live that out. To recognize that I desperately need you. I called one of my, I texted one of my prayer partners today and I said, pray for me tonight. I feel silly in asking with the great things that many people in our community are facing that are far greater than a silly sinus infection. But I thought, I don't want to let how small my need appears to be to not allow me to get in on talking to a prayer partner. So I texted him, I said, I need you to pray for me tonight. Pray that God would give me clarity of mind so I can proclaim His truth. I needed that brother. And I want that brother to know that he needs me, whether he knows it or not. We need each other. God tells us that community, it's not optional. I believe a lot of what we attach to moments in worship like Jim led us in tonight. That, that old time religion, that good feeling of the Holy Spirit moving in our life, we remember what He has done. Paul, as you shared about how 70 plus years have God has not failed you. You haven't always got it right for Him. But He's been there for you every single time. We could see that God rarely moves 
when we are all by ourselves. But he often answers prayer in the context of a body of believers. He will give a peace to a brother or sister who brings encouragement to us. He will allow someone else in their active obedience to meet us in a time of need. And God is calling us to live in community. It's not a suggestion. It's not for those who have a per- personality type of one category. It's for every believer. Well, why do I need others? If you're taking notes, jot this down. Number one, I need others to walk with me. To walk with me. Well, Pastor, that sounds good, but where does the Bible give us that emphasis? Well, it's all over the place. What does that mean? It, it means that you and I need each other to grow spiritually. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, Just as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. Did you know that the Bible often compares our Christian life to a walk? Well, yes, I know that you know this, but think about it. Why does it talk about a walk? It's because we're on a journey with God together. You see, you and I are not where we used to be. We're not where we are going to be. We are on a journey. It is a movement forward in Him. So it calls us in this spiritual life to walk with Him. Throughout the New Testament... We are told to walk in wisdom, to walk in love, to walk in the light, to walk in obedience, to walk in the Spirit, to walk as Jesus walked. Many, many places throughout Scripture it talks to us about walking with Him and how to live the life. Because one of the keys that God is giving to us is to walk in community. I think it's important for us to see this isn't something that we just do once. Well, I was a part of a prayer band one time back at 19-something-something. Well, I was a part of a Sunday school class back in one time, and it happened in that moment in my life, and it was a a help to me then. No, it's a continual walking in community. It's an ongoing obedience and commitment to one another. Some of you say, well, what's wrong with walking alone? I share with you my personality type. I, I, I get energy by retreating by myself. I love going on walks by myself, but if I think of my spiritual journey as something I do as a solo event... Just by myself, I miss the blessings of God. Now, this isn't in your notes. This is extra. But three keys that I think of why we have to walk with each other. This is not in your notes. If you're looking for it, you won't find it. One, it's safer when we walk together. When we walk through life with a brother or sister, God gives us protection from ourself, from the enemy, from the regular happenstance of things in this fallen world. There's a safety when we connect together. It's also supportive. When we walk with a brother and sister, we have a call to lift one another up, keep each other from giving up. And third, it's, I think, just flat out smarter. Proverbs 28 and 26 says, only fools trust in what they alone think. The Bible also tells us, this is in your outline, Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. That's the first thing God said after creating Adam. He created Adam and he says, well, this is not good for Adam to be alone. God hates loneliness. God wants to push loneliness away. And his antidote for loneliness is in two categories, two groups. One, in the physical family that he has given to us. I believe there's an antidote there. And it's also the spiritual family that God gives to us. The physical family, it's it's as if... 
you know, it's just straightforward. It's the family that you were born into. And as good as this can be, and God wants this to be a blessing in your life, every physical family at some point, there is a growing apart, whether it is a natural uh, son and daughter leaving mother and father, or a natural parting by death here on this earth. There is a growing apart. But in our spiritual family, with the body of Christ, this goes on for all of eternity. The gospel partnerships we form, I believe, will last for generation upon generation in heaven. Hebrews 10 says, let us not give up on the habit of meeting together. Now notice, this is a habit. This is something that they did all the time. It wasn't something they just did every now and then. Let's not give up on the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. He's saying that you and I are created for this community. This verse is... I believe, not talking just about what we're doing right now. I don't believe it's just saying, well, don't give up on Sunday morning church. I believe it's saying, don't give up on the practice of breaking bread together. Of being devoted to the apostles' teaching together. Don't give up on doing life with one another. When in the early church in Acts 2, they did not have any need among them because they began to support one another in every way they could think of. This living life together is something far better, far greater than just saying hi for an hour or an hour and a half on a Sunday morning or Sunday night. Now, I don't know. I'm not good at guessing numbers. I've got that pastoral vision, so there's probably 7,000 of you here tonight. I don't know how many there are. What would it be, Pastor Rex? 100, 150, 200? 168, exactly. I love that. Administrative gifts from Pastor Rex. He can just see it right there. In a room this size, as intimate as it can feel, can you do life with 168 people? No. Now, we can love each other. We can have some form of familiarity with one another. But I believe God's calling us to have five and six and eight and ten people that we key in on together. That we open up in transparency to really journey through this walk together. Community is God's answer to loneliness. Drop that down. It's God's answer to loneliness. We need a place where we can practice the love of God that He's given to us and practice giving it to somebody else. We need to learn how to love one another. As I shared this morning, we can't learn community without being committed to community. It's not in a crowd like this or like in Sunday morning, though there's elements of that. This is good, but it's practicing in the context of our Sunday school class or in our small group Bible study or in our men's group on Thursday morning or Friday morning or or Tuesday morning or wherever we find ourselves committing to other brothers and sisters in the Lord. You can't learn about community without committing to it. Community is God's answer to loneliness, but also we see in the second here that I need to work with others. I need others to work with me. As I begin to see why I need people in my life, there is a need for others to work with me and for me to work with them. Ecclesiastes 4 says two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. And it's not that hard to see that a team can accomplish more than an individual. As I shared this morning, I I love that thought that I read earlier this week, that a snowflake, as delicate and as intricate as it is all by itself, doesn't do much damage. But you get enough snowflakes that bond together, they can stop traffic. Or as we've learned over this winter, it can put a city into a 
hold a grip of winter cold, I believe God wants us to bind together in smaller gatherings. Church, I don't care if we call it Sunday school, if we call it Bible fellowship, if you call it Bible study or small group or men's group or rush hour, the name is not important, but what we do in the context of those gatherings is of eternal significance. God wants us to work with one another. See, God's answer to fatigue is community. Jot that down. Community answers the problem of fatigue in our life. Many of us go through our Christian life tired and exhausted. We, we try to charge hell with a squirt gun all by ourselves. We're trying to win all of Fort Wayne all by ourselves. We're trying to accomplish things that God has never set forth for us to do by ourselves. But when we do our part, when we link arms with the person to our left and our right, there is a greater impact we can have. And so fighting fatigue... We can find the answer in a commitment to community. Galatians 6.10, every time we get a chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. I need people to walk with me through life. I need people to work with me, and you need people to work with you. Third, I need others to watch out for me. I'm talking about people who will... Hold me accountable because I've given them the right to. The church, I think in our faith tradition, we're, we're kind of weak in this area. Because of our strength and our understanding that is very, very true. That you and I don't have to live in the chains of willful disobedience anymore. We can have victory over willful disobedience. Amen? Anybody believe that with me? We can live in the victory of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we have allowed that truth that is a very distinctive doctrine that we hold to get us to think that there is no area of confession that we need. There's no area of us being dependent on God for His grace uh, appropriated to us every single day. When we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that it's impossible for me to have willful disobedience or sin It means it's possible that I don't have to sin in word, thought, and deed every day. I don't have to disobey God. So by that very understanding, I desperately need somebody to get my back and love me enough to say, Hey, this attitude I'm seeing stinks. Not because they're condescending to me, but someone who has earned the right with me to say, Snap out of it. Get your eyes off yourself. Get it on something else. Get it on Jesus. Who is it that you've let in your life close enough? To earn the right to get your back spiritually. Some of us, that's a very hard challenge. Others, maybe you'll let somebody hold you accountable, but you kind of move into the sucking up mode where you just eat up all the things that people pour into you. But where do you ever give love and accountability to somebody else? Well, Brady, I don't know that anybody would really want me to hold them accountable. I don't know that anybody would really want me to mentor them. How do you know? Are you praying that God would bring someone into your path? Are you asking someone, hey, could I be a gospel partner with you? I want to make sure I wave the banner loud and clear. We can have mentors in our life, some of them that are older than us, some of them that are younger than us. We're just looking for somebody who is in love with Jesus in a way that we could admire. Somebody who we know, with the best of our knowledge, they are running hard and fast after Jesus. Partner with them. Allow them to hold you accountable. Allow them to watch out for you. Friend, you and I have an enemy 
This enemy hates your guts. He wants to defeat you. His name is Satan. He wants to mess up your life. He wants to bring problems into your life. He wants to ruin every relationship you have. He wants to hurt you as bad as he can. But why would he do that? It's because he can't hurt God. What Satan wants to do is he wants to hurt God, but he can't do it. And so when you can't hurt somebody, what do you do? You go after their kids. And so Satan is prowling around ready to devour. I'm not trying to give you an unnecessary sense of fear. I want you to have a dose of reality. There is a very real world where the enemy is trying to work every circumstance against you and to get you to doubt the one who loves you deeply. And God has given us part of the solution in accountability with one another, watching out for one another. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Here's my question. Do you have anybody that you're watching their back or that you're allowing them to hold you accountable? Is there anybody that you are offering that kind of gospel partnership with them. See, community is God's answer to defeat. Ecclesiastes 4.10, if one person falls, another can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble, as this paraphrase shares. Some people in our life only get some challenges solved by a team gang tackle. Somehow I think that in the spirit of being entrepreneurs and the American dream, the American way, work hard enough, dream it big enough that you can conquer it on your own. You can have, you know, your house and white picket fence and 2.5 kids and all the other things that we're told that we deserve as a right. We begin to forget that there's some things that we can't conquer on our own. Could it be there's someone who's sitting to your left? Or you're right that they will not be able to have that stronghold the enemy is defeating them in come down unless it's a gang tackle by you and a couple others who join in prayer with them. I wonder if we really believe too much in this concept of holiness by community. We can have a personal relationship with Jesus, yes, and we can be set apart for His holy use individually, yes, but He doesn't do it just for Brady or just for Carrie or, or just for Brad or just for Rex. He doesn't do it just for Chuck. He does it for us. Amen. He calls us to be a holy people together. And He calls us to live in unity, defeating the enemy by our commitment to one another. Amen. Fourth, I need others. Why? I need them to wait and to weep with me. To wait and to weep. I'm talking about that kind of waiting while I'm anticipating bad news to come. And weeping when that bad news comes, someone to cry with me. I need people to be there beside me in the inevitable crisis of life that will happen. When the tragedy hits, I don't want to face it alone by myself. I want to be in the context of a band of brothers, a band of sisters that can lift me up. As your pastor and as your representative of your pastoral team, we see this on a weekly basis. There are situations that I think nobody should ever have to go through on their own. 
Nobody should ever have to wait in the hospital while a loved one is in a life and death surgery. Nobody should have to be there by themselves. No woman should ever have to wait alone while they're waiting for a lab report to come back on a problem pregnancy. Nobody should have to face that. Nobody should have to wait for news from the battlefield of a loved one of what's happened in their life by themselves. Nobody should have to stand at the edge of an open grave and grieve all by themselves. Nobody should have to wait home alone for the coroner to come and publicly identify the body of a loved one who has just passed away. Nobody should have to do that. Nobody should have to spend the first night home alone after their husband or their wife has passed away. Nobody should have to spend that first night after their spouse has left them and they are now separated. Nobody should have to go through that by themselves. The fact is that some of these things are going to happen to you. They're going to happen to me. They're inevitable. You're going to have loved ones who pass away. You're going to go through a tragedy that would break my heart and break the heart of the people around you. You're going to get bad news that's going to come. You're going to find out that your life is not as long as you would have hoped it to be. You and I need other people in our life to journey with one another. Only a fool would go all the way through life totally unprepared for something that you and I know is inevitable will happen. A crisis will happen. Jesus never says, come follow me and you will have roses the rest of your days. No. He says, expect persecution. Expect tribulation and trials to come. But I'm going to help you get through it. And one of the antidotes he gives to that is the body of believers. The time to prepare for that is now. So what is the safety net that God gives to us? It's the group of believers that you're committing yourself to. You don't need 168. I would argue that you don't need 58. But you need 5 or 6 or 8 or 10 or 12 people that you have committed to journey through life together to be there for one another. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.8, you should be like one big family full of sympathy towards one another. When you're in the hospital, you don't need, you don't want 168 people coming to visit you, let alone 900 or 1,000 or 1,200, however many people call Grace Point home. You don't really want all those people to see you, but it would be good to have a handful of people who would reach out to you, who'd be praying for you, that would come and say that I'm lifting you up. I'll never forget the guy who came to me at the last church that I was serving. He'd been attending that church there in Tulsa for two to three years, and uh, he had come on Sunday mornings, actually it was Saturday night for a while, and uh, he was pretty consistent on Saturday night, but he never entered into any kind of Bible study or small group, and he didn't really have relationship with too many other people, and the day came when he got pretty sick and he was hospitalized, and when he was in the hospital, his sickness had a turn for the worse, an infection sat in, and, and so he was there for a long haul of some dark nights. I was out of town for a period of about 10 days or so, and when I got back, I hadn't heard the news that he was in the hospital. When I got back, I learned that he was in the hospital and out of the hospital, and here, this gentleman came to meet me at my office. I could tell his heart was hurt. He said, Brady, I'm leaving the church. I said, really, why? He said, because nobody cares for me here. And I said, oh, friend, I am so sorry. Let me pray with you. And as he left, his mind was made up. But friends, as he walked out the door, it crossed my mind. I thought to myself, 
it's this brother's fault. He never, ever committed himself to community. He never, ever allowed anybody to get close enough to really even know his last name. He never allowed anybody to earn the right with him to ask him the tough questions. I want you to hear me clearly tonight. You can't experience community without committing to community. That's right. I know that may not be a, you know, a real gushy feeling thought to share, but it's the truth. Who did he visit in the hospital? Who did he pray for? Who did he step out of his comfort zone and try to reach? Who is it that that he went the extra mile with? Now friends, there are people who come to us who are brand new in the faith and they're visiting and it's our responsibility to love them into the family. But this was a brother who'd been with us for two and three years. He had known the patterns. He had been welcomed in, but he was resistant from invitation after invitation to be a part of community. And we miss things that God wants us to have. I need others to wait and to weep with me. So did this brother. And it takes a commitment for us to a community of faith. Community is God's answer to despair. It's God's answer to despair. Romans twelve fifteen says, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Friends, this is what our Sunday school classes and our Bible studies and our prayer groups are all about. When there's something good happening, we celebrate a promotion. We celebrate an answer to prayer with a brother or sister. When there's a challenge we face, we cry together, we grieve together. First, excuse me, First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage each other and strengthen one another. The fifth and final reason why we need each other is I believe we need others to witness to the world around us. I need others to witness with me. Here's what I mean by that. God has given each of us a life message God wants us to impact the world with the love that Jesus has shown to us. That's part of our mission. God never intended for you and I to go witness to the world all by ourselves. What is the best way for us to witness? I'm not ready to say it's the only way, but I believe the best way is out of the overflow of what Jesus is currently doing in our life in the context of community. God says it's when you love each other with the love I have given you that a watching world will wake up and take notice. John 13 says, your love for one another, he didn't say your love for me, he didn't say your love for Jesus, he said your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's the love that God has given us. It's not us just being cordial and kind to one another. It's the love of God that we give to one another in community that a watching world will wake up and take notice. The thing that proves to the world that you and I are the family of God is that we love each other irregardless of our idiosyncrasies. When you're truly God's family, you start loving people like they're your family. I don't know if you have brothers or sisters. I have a sister. And it's an interesting thing with family. You can squabble, you can have arguments, you can have tiffs, but nobody else better argue with them. My sister is eight years younger than me, and growing up, there was many things that she would get into in my life and in my room and in my space that just hacked me off, and I wanted Amy to know, you tick me off, and I'm going to tell her what for. But if I ever catch wind of somebody else giving her the business, then they're going to have to answer to me. She's my sister, and I'm the only one that has the right to be aggravated with her. Just like family we have, though there is frustrations and those times we need to walk through challenges, there is a commitment to one another, at least in a healthy family situation, one that should be that way. 
God wants us to have that love for each other. I believe that's what God wants Grace Point to be known for. What will impress the people around us in Fort Wayne is not the size of our community of faith. It's not our building. It's not our sermons. It's not our music. It's not the place that we gather. It's the way that people are loved on in this family. That's where people can come and a man can stand and say, you know what, I am fighting an addiction in my life. And he can be confident that there will be people around him that will love him regardless of what he shares. It's a place where a woman can stand and say that I have just lost my husband. He has left me and know that she will not be judged, but she will be wrapped in love in a commitment of community that she's entered into. It's a place where we're not perfect, but a place where God's grace is thick. As you know, I had nothing to do with naming this church. I don't have a clue of who helped name it. Maybe you came up with the name. I don't know. But I love it. Grace Point. Have you thought about what that means? Have you thought about what that would look like if we were living true to that name? This is a point, a place where God's grace is overflowing out of our life. Church. I don't believe God's grace is going to best flow from a sermon or from a song or from a program or from a building or from some kind of project. It's going to flow out of the way we love each other. Whether you like it or not, I'm your brother. You're my sister. You're my brother. We may have things that we see different and we may need to have a family meeting and we may need to sit down and and hash it out together. And that's good. That's okay. But nobody better mess with you because you're my brother and you're my sister. I want to love you with the love of Jesus Christ. He has given you to me and he has given me to you. And he has not just done that with us too, but he's done that with the people around you. I encourage you, invite people into your life that you can enter into community with. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and enjoy being with them. Is anybody going to be in heaven because of the way you loved another Christian? I don't ever ask you a question without asking myself that. I can think of people that I've had the opportunity to lead to Jesus Many times I'm there just to harvest a seed that was planted by somebody else. I prayed many people through the sinner's prayer. I've given a defense of my faith and apologetics to a handful of people. And I've seen a number of them come to know Jesus and have confidence that it's not a blind faith, but it's an intellectual faith in Jesus. But I'm convinced that the power in reaching people around us is in the way that we live and are transformed in love. And I cried out this week, God, is there anybody that's going to be in your presence for eternity that the road sign that pointed them to you was the way that I loved another brother or sister? I ask that that would be a convicting question for you. I know that beginning to love people with our life can kind of be scary and it can be intrusive when we take it serious. Well, what if they take advantage of me? What if they monopolize my time? 
I'll never forget one Christ follower who declared on the news one night when he was working in the gangs of L.A. and he was providing some kind of ministry there. And they said, aren't you afraid that these gang members will take advantage of your ministry? And this Christian brother replied, I don't think I understand your question. I can't have my advantage being taken from me because I give my advantage away every time I get an opportunity. What would it be like if you or I lived our life not wondering or worrying or wading through the thoughts of somebody misusing us, but we quickly give away what God has given to us, our time, our energy, our love, before it can be taken. God does not call us to do this by ourselves. Though it may be scary, we're going to do it together. God's answer for fear is in community. You don't have to figure out how to do this by yourself. We're going to do it together. We begin to see that Philippians 1.27 is true in our life. You are working together and, and struggling side by side to get others to believe the good news. As we close tonight, and I close in prayer, many of you are the literal choir or the core of this body of believers. A handful of you are teachers or leaders in classes and groups. Many of you are already connected. And so this ringing of the bell to be connected in community, you could say, Pastor, I, I'm glad you're excited about it, but I'm already there. While the gentleman I spoke about who had been a part of the church in Tulsa for two to three years and never entered in, and I think he bears the responsibility of not committing to that opportunity, I think you and I have a responsibility as well. How could I... Being a band of brothers on Thursday morning with four or five guys beginning to share life with them and not be open to inviting somebody else in. How could I be a part of a Sunday school class for year after year, decade after decade, and not be asking God, is there anybody in my circle of influence that I can invite to come to class with me? How can I be a part of that Bible study where we're pouring over this great material and not ask, is there another woman, is there another man that I can invite into life with me? I've been asking God to bring people to my mind, and I want you to ask Him the same thing as we close in prayer. Father, I thank You for helping us understand that we desperately need each other. To have a sacred encounter with You, we discover You through prayer, we discover You through study of Your Word, we discover You through the disciplines You've given to us, aligning us underneath the spigot of Your grace. But You also have sacred encounters planned for us, in the context of gathering with brothers and sisters in smaller groups and Sunday school classes and studies. Lord, I pray that we will be quick to give ourselves in commitment and transparency to one another. Father, I pray that you will bring down the high places that we sing about this morning. Tear down those high places that we make idols of our own independence of our own achievements in the faith. And God, I pray that we would be broken and contrite before You, hungering just to lead one more person to You, just to partner and link arms with one more person to help them journey in their faith, just to allow somebody to spur us on in You. Father, I thank You that You're not tapping any one of us on the shoulder asking us to be the Savior of all. For Jesus, you are the one who has conquered everything ahead of our path. 
But as you call us to live and walk in you, may we tap in to the wellspring of life as we share this journey with one another. Jesus, I ask these things. I declare these things. I claim them in your powerful name. Amen and amen. Before you go, I want to share a quick story and then just dismiss you. Her name was Elaine in Indianapolis, Indiana. She was a Sunday school teacher for I don't even know how many years. She had uh, this preacher's kid who needed lots of corralling. And I remember going to her class week in and week out, not because I wanted to, but that's what was expected of me. There was moments I enjoyed it. There was moments that I excelled. But Elaine and Maury paid a price in consistency and loving a group of teenagers who were hard to love at times. And Elaine taught me what it meant to seek God and not just to seek His will for my life. I'm forever indebted to a community of believers when I was in my sophomore year and junior year in high school who created a context for what we're talking about tonight to be lived out. I think back further to Don Bowman who was a children's pastor in Denver First Church of the Nazarene and somewhere those children's leaders had a crazy idea to get all the kids of the church into the upper room of the church where we would gather And they were going to do a microcosm of the church. So every level of leadership they were going to have represented in the children's department. I don't even know if that's a good idea, but they did it. And so they wanted small group leaders and Sunday school teachers and a board all to be represented in the kids' department. Not having a clue of what's going on, they appointed me to be a small group leader at the age of eight years old. And and I didn't have a clue. I was very dangerous in leading kids. But I still have a card in my desk in my office that's a picture of Jesus on one side. On the other side, it was a completion of a small group leader training with my signature, committing to allow God to use me and the signature of my leaders and Don Bowman and others who created an appetite in me, like what we're talking about tonight, of what it means for kids to have this atmosphere of doing community with one another. I have no idea any of the small group lessons that we studied when I was eight years old. I don't remember any of them at all. But I'll never forget the joy and the burden of being there to pray for other kids. I can think in Hills Hall and Olivet as part of the responsibilities of a resident assistant there in that dorm, gathering each week to pray with the guys who wanted to pray. For the first time in my, my life, really offering community to guys who, who were very quick to reject what I had to offer. But remembering that I didn't always receive what Don Bowman shared with me when I was a kid. I didn't always receive what Elaine shared with me when I was in high school. Began to experiment with that. I share these stories that probably should have very little significance for you. But I believe you can fill in the gaps on what those stories are in your life. Who the teacher was. Who the group leader was. Who the mentor was in your life that helped you experience community. I believe if it's not people like you and I stepping up to the plate... And carrying the mantle of what it means to have biblical community in smaller gatherings. I don't know who will do that. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. We have great Sunday school teachers and, and there's a good plan in place. But I want you to know God's getting ready to explode on the scene and we're going to need to grow really fast. Yes. That's right. And so I've been praying that God would stir something in your heart to be the next generation of Don Bowman's, the next generation of Elaine Metzger's, the next generation of Brady's who try to get their feet wet. Many of you are veterans in this area. And though I want you to enjoy the retirement that God has blessed you with, I don't think you're done until He... Well, I don't think you're done ever. (laughs) I don't think you're done on this earth until He takes you home and then He's got a whole lot more for you there. But I'm praying that God would give you a passion and the energy to come alongside others and wave the banner for community. Thanks so much for your attention. May God bless you. As you take off tonight, allow God to take these truths and... Chew on them for the rest of the evening. God bless you. You're dismissed.